Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. Matthew chapter 16, verse 26. If you don't have a Bible with you, then it's on the screen behind me. Matthew chapter 16, verse 26. Title of the message today, Is Your Soul for Sale? Is Your Soul for Sale? Matthew chapter 16, verse 26. And this is Jesus speaking. And the Bible says, For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Let us pray. Our gracious and heavenly Father, we thank thee for this opportunity to proclaim thy truth today. We would ask in the name of Jesus Christ that your Holy Spirit continue to dwell in our midst that we might not do anything to offend him. We pray that you would touch our hearts, touch our souls, touch our spirits, and speak to us through your eternal word. And if there is one in our midst today who has yet to trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we pray that today would be his or her day of salvation. Speak to them through your word. Speak to them through the preaching from these lips of clay that we might see someone come to a saving knowledge of Christ. As we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Jesus speaking says, for what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his soul? It's a familiar text, but what I want you to focus on is what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? So essentially what Jesus is saying is that there are a lot of glittering lights and baubles in this world that distract us. And there are things that we want in the flesh. There are things that we are willing, some are willing, to exchange their souls for. Be it fame, be it fortune, be it increased knowledge, be it the pleasures of the flesh or the pleasures of this world. And this is nothing new. Technology has changed. We have indoor lighting, indoor plumbing, carpets on the floor. But the heart of man, your heart, is the same today as it was 5,000 years ago. There is sin, and there is the desire for sin. And there are those who are willing to exchange their immortal soul for the pleasures of this world, be it fame, fortune, increased knowledge, or whatever. And Jesus goes on to say... What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? In other words, once that soul is lost, once that soul, that person dies and the soul goes to hell, there is nothing you can give in exchange for your soul. I thought that was a pretty profound thought. Because, see, the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. If you have yet to trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you have an opportunity today, before I finish this sentence even, to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ by simply trusting him. However, if you slip into eternity without Jesus Christ, if you slip into eternity without his blood covering your sins, if you slip into eternity without a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, then your soul is lost forever. There is no redemption in hell. There is no angel that will come through the gates of hell and carry you out. There is no way that the blood of Christ will cover your sins once you have left this planet and enter into the gates of hell. But God is merciful, amen? God has grace, amen? God has given us a means of salvation 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. And our Lord reaches out and tells us, what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? The title of this message is, Is Your Soul for Sale? It seems like an archaic, a medieval thought about the devil appearing and making you an offer for your soul. However, May 24th, 2015, this is the Daily Breeze. And between services, I like to read the Sunday paper. So I'm going through the Daily Breeze, local newspaper, and what do I see but an article titled, Would You Sell Your Soul? And this is the 21st century. And it begins by, suppose you were offered a chance to make a lifelong dream come true. The only catch was that you had to sell your soul to the devil. Now, this idea of selling one's soul to the devil is not a new concept. In Germany, back in the 15th century, a fellow named Faust is uh, featured in this literature where he's a pretty well-to-do guy. He's got a nice... Uh, home, and he's smart, and he's knowledgeable, but he wants more in life. So Faust says, I wish I had more. And lo and behold, an emissary from the devil shows up named Mephistopheles and offers uh, Faust anything he wants in life in exchange for his soul. And at the end of a certain amount of time, Mephistopheles would come back and claim the soul of Faust. This story has replayed itself all throughout Western literature. In America, the story is called uh, Daniel Webster and the Devil. It was written about the time of uh, the Revolutionary War back in the 1700s. And basically the story goes that Daniel Webster, who wrote Webster's Dictionary, who was a very, very famous orator at the time, well-known individual, well, this is a story of fiction, and Daniel Webster is the hero in the story. And essentially, this young man sells, a young man sells his soul to the devil, and then when the time comes for the devil to collect his soul, he goes to Daniel Webster and he says, Mr. Webster, Mr. Webster, please, the soul the devil's coming after my soul. Can you help me? So Daniel Webster represents this young man in the devil's court of law. And in this court of law, there's a jury of 12. There's a jury of 12 uh, sitting there. And they're all damned souls, souls that have been condemned to hell. They're all former American patriots. And they've all done something horrible to uh, find themselves uh, in, in hell. And then they sit on the court and judge of this young man and representing uh, the devil. Needless to say, uh, Daniel Webster wins the case, and I won't tell you how he wins the case. We can talk about that later. But this story continues all the way, <laughs> all the way through, all the way through uh, literature. Tons of movies, tons of Twilight Zones you know, have this concept of the devil showing up, offering someone uh, some money for their soul. But Jesus had to deal with the devil specifically. This is not some archaic uh, concept out of literature or, or fiction. We find that our Lord himself found himself being contested for his soul from the Satan, from devil himself. If you would, uh, Matthew uh, chapter 4, verse 8. Matthew chapter 4, verse 8. And it's popping up on the screen. Matthew chapter 4, verse 8. We find Jesus in the wilderness. And Jesus is being tempted by the devil. And the Bible says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 8, Again, the devil taketh him, Jesus, up into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms 
of the world and the glory of them. And the devil says to Jesus, all these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then said Jesus to Satan, get thee behind, get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. So even our Lord Jesus Christ hungered 40 days and 40 nights out in the wilderness, starving, thirsty, filthy for being out in the desert. No place to lay his head. He's sleeping on rocks. He's sleeping in caves. It's a terrible state to be in. Spiritually, he's, he's diminished. Physically, he's weak. And in the midst of his weakness comes the devil. That's how he does in your life, isn't it? In times of stress, in times of pain, in times of uh, need, an emissary of the devil will come. The devil doesn't always show up personally. He shows up personally because this is Jesus. But he's got enough emissaries out there that'll, that he'll send to kind of pick at your soul at times where you're weak and there's despair or you might be desperate or depressed even. And Jesus came to give us an example that we might follow in his steps. Jesus was like you and I at this moment of temptation. He was a hungered. He was weak. He was tired. He was lonely. And then the devil comes and offers him all the glittering baubles. He shows him the kingdoms of this world, pulls back the veil. And there's Rome. There's Paris. There's Hollywood. There's Beverly Hills. There's Brentwood. Oh, yes. All the kingdoms of this world, Microsoft, Google, all the kingdoms of this world, Apple, Wells Fargo, all the kingdoms of this world, Cedars-Sinai Hospital, all the kingdoms of this world, everything that a man could possibly desire, that's what he shows to Jesus, all the glory. All the pleasures, all the NBA teams, all the Super Bowl teams, all the world championships, all the kingdoms of the world and the glory thereof. Of course he could do it. He's the prince of this world. He controls the power of this world. So he pulls back the veil of time and he shows Jesus everything that he could have. And our Lord, giving us an example, Say, get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And I can see Jesus rising up to that position of strength from weakness and preaching Deuteronomy to Satan. And what does the devil do? The devil leaves him, and our Lord is ministered to by angels. He was weak, but he rose to that moment to lay out that fact that we are called to worship the Lord, our God. So if Satan will come and attack Jesus, what do you think he'll do with you? Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus, the Son of Man. Jesus, the creator of this world. Jesus, the master of the universe, who came to earth and became flesh and dwelt among us, that he might redeem your soul from sin. So here we are, the creation. And there you are, a living soul. The title of this message is Your Soul is Your Soul for Sale. 
Your soul is very precious. What is the soul? The soul is who you are. This frame is not who we are. Basically water. If you take out the water, then what's left behind is probably a handful of dust. Some minerals, potassium, sulfur, some stuff like that. That's it. You blow it away. But what makes you, you, is your connection with God, that he took that dust from the earth and he, theonoustos, God breathed, breathed life into that dust, and that life became a living soul. First point in this message is your soul for sale. Your soul was created by God. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. It's on the screen. If you want to turn with me in the Bible, that's fine too. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. The Bible says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. The man there is Adam in the Hebrew. We know him as Adam. And God created a living soul. Adam was able to reason. Adam was able to feel. Adam had intellect. Adam had emotions. That's what that living soul is. That's who you are today. With Adam's intellect, over in Genesis chapter 2, verse 19, it won't be on the screen, but God paraded a number of animals in front of, in front of Adam, and Adam was able to name each one of the animals. And then God realized that Adam was going to be alone. God realized that Adam had feelings and emotions. So God said, it's not good for man to be alone. So God created a woman, Eve. So that living soul had intellect. That living soul has feelings and emotions. And it's precious because it's created by God. That's why Satan wants you so bad. The Bible says that your adversary, the devil, walketh about like a roaring lion. Seeking whom he may devour. I don't know if you saw it on TV the other night, but a young lady was on a safari over in Africa and one of those lion safaris, and they say, don't roll the windows down, and she rolled the windows down, and there's a snapshot of a lioness propped up at her side of the window about to pounce and go inside the window, and there's a lion standing in the background, full male lion just watching this whole thing. The young lady was killed because the lion came through the window and grabbed her and killed her in the back seat of the car. That's how the devil is, like a roaring lion. Not a big, great cat to be stroked and, and purring. That lion took that woman's life. She thought it was some kind of domesticated, she was some kind of domesticated animal. But no, it was a roaring lion seeking whom she may devour. And she devoured that woman in the back seat of the car. That's what the devil intends to do with your soul because God created that soul. And the devil despises, not too strong a word, the devil despises anything that's created by God. The devil despises anything that God loves, and God loves you. He loves you so much that he wanted your fellowship. He wanted your company. So he created a living soul. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verse, verse 4, we find uh, evidence of God creating this living soul. He's speaking to Jeremiah the prophet. And God says, then the word of the Lord came unto me, Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah says, saying, before I formed thee in the belly, before I formed thee in the belly, Jeremiah, 
I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. And I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Can you imagine God knowing you before you were formed in your mother's womb? That's a deep thought. But that's what God is saying. We tend to put God in a box. We tend to relegate God to our five senses. We think God is like us. God is not like us. God is God. And God is a spirit. God is the creator of the universe. God is outside of time. God is outside of eternity. God is outside of the meager thoughts that we can piece together. You may know differential equations. You may know calculus. You may be able to do algebra. You may be able to know the geography of the world. But that still doesn't make you equivalent to God's intelligence. That doesn't make you equivalent to God's wisdom. Because God is above all, all of that. We are the creation. We are not the creator. So the creator has deep knowledge. The creator has deep wisdom. The creator has deep thoughts. And it's so deep that before you were in your mother's womb, Jeremiah says, God knew you. That precious soul. Moving on. In Acts chapter 17, verse 23. Acts 17, 23. And this is all under the same point. Your soul was created by God. Here we have Paul. So Paul is... uh, Speaking, and he says, for as I passed by and beheld your devotions, talking to the Greeks, I found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. So he's moving through Greece. There are altars. There there are uh, uh, statues everywhere to Greek gods, blah, blah, blah. But they see, he sees a statue to the unknown God. And Paul says, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, Him declare I unto you. You don't know who you're worshiping? Let me tell you about him. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshiped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth life to he giveth to all life and breath and all things. He giveth to all life and breath and all things. He giveth to all life and breath and all things. That's what God does. He gives life to everything, not a few things, not just to the fish in the sea, but to all things, not just to the kids in kindergarten, but all things God gives life to. But we want to put God in some little container where we can control him. This is the creator of the universe. God created all things, including your soul. Because God created your soul, your soul is precious. Because God created your soul, there's a spiritual battle taking place, even as I speak, between light and darkness, between heaven and hell, between Satan and God, over your soul. And God won the battle. The battle's already won. When Christ died on that cross, and he was buried, and he rose from the grave, hallelujah, he won the battle. But still, the aftermath rages on. Still, there are parts of the book that have to be fulfilled. Still, we have to go through certain parts of Daniel. Still, we have to go through certain parts of the Revelation. However, the battle has been won. may not look like it. We have ISIS going crazy over in the Middle East. We have people with knives threatening to behead uh, police officers up in Boston. We have all types of problems and trials and tribulations. The economy is going bad. We can't find work. We can't find jobs. Gang violence out there. 
Mothers killing their children, fathers killing their sons. It seems like the world is spinning off its axis, but God is in control. It is God. It is God. It is God. And it's God's plan that is being fulfilled. So God created the human soul, and God takes care of that human soul. And all you have to do is keep your faith and confidence in Jesus Christ, Christian. All you have to do, if you don't know Christ, is put your faith and confidence in Jesus Christ, and I'll tell you how to do that in just a moment. The title of this message is, Is Your Soul for Sale? My first point is that your soul was created by God. Secondly, your soul is contaminated. 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 What a word. By sin. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Wherefore, as by one man, back to Adam, sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Your soul is created by God. When God created your soul, it was not contaminated by sin. When God breathed life into that dust, and that life became Adam, a man, Adam was not contaminated by sin at that time. He was holy. He was pure. He had a personal relationship with God. He and God walked together in in the garden at night. He walked with God. Prayed. Talked to God. What a wonderful life. What a wonderful life. Just to walk casually with God. No freeway traffic. Don't have to worry about going to Taco Bell or Jack in the Box tonight just to be able to walk with God. And God gave Adam a commandment. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Seems simple enough. A lot of other trees in the garden, all bearing precious, exotic fruits. There's only one tree there, Adam. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Nothing's changed since Adam was given that commandment. God gives us his word, the Holy Bible. The text there, sometimes on the screen, you have the word on your lap. And that's God telling you what to do. That's God instructing you with a blueprint of how to live your life. But what happens is we disobey the word of God. Just like Adam disobeyed God's word. And Adam knew he wasn't supposed to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God told him that directly. And then Adam went and told Eve. And then the serpent came to Eve and said, surely God didn't mean that. So we know she got the word. It wasn't like, hey, I didn't know. She got the word. Don't eat from that tree. But she did. And then she offers a a bite to Adam, the Bible says. And he had the word. What was the problem, Adam? I got to ask, what what, what were you thinking? And he took a bite too. And the Bible says that by one man, Romans chapter 5, verse 12 again, sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death, death passed upon all men. I've had a number of interesting careers, and I've 
seen death in a, in a number of different forms. And death is not a friend. Death is unnatural. Death is not a part of our formula. It was never intended by God for death to come into the world. Now, you have some cultures that have glorified death, uh, like the samurai in uh, ancient Japan, where they were prepared to die. Their whole lives were geared in training to get them ready to die. I just finished reading a book about ancient Rome and the gladiators, and gladiators were the same way. They were not afraid to die. They weren't afraid of death. Well, death is an enemy. Death is not our friend. Death is not to be embraced. Death is what Jesus Christ experienced on behalf of you. Fortunately, the Bible teaches us that Jesus has the keys to hell and death. You understand what that means? That when Jesus came out of the grave, those who have a fear of death need not to fear death any longer if you trust Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus conquered death. Jesus conquered death. But the dilemma that we're, we live with as a, human, as a race of humans is that sin and death came into the world. The world was originally a place of peace, a peace of harmony. Uh, animals got along with each other. You know, you could walk past a lion, wouldn't have to worry about him coming through the rear window of your car. That's the way this world was. But when sin came into the world, it fractured that harmonious relationship that we had with God the Father, our creator. And that fracture still exists to this day. Why do you think I wear glasses? Because sin and death came into the world. Why do you think we wear clothes? Because sin and death came into the world. Why do you think there's gang violence, drug use, abortion on demand, alcoholism? Because sin and death came into the world. Why is there domestic violence? Because sin and death came into the world. That's where it comes from. But God provided the remedy for that through our Lord Jesus Christ. So your soul was created by God. Your soul is contaminated by sin. We'll go over to James chapter 1, verse 15, to further that point. James chapter 1, the 15th verse. The Bible says that when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And I always found that a very profound spiritual thought. And I want to back up and read what leads up to that for you. Keep keeping your mind on verse 15. James chapter 1, verse 13. The Bible says, let no man say, when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. So if you're tempted, don't blame it on God. The Bible says, for God cannot tempt with evil. It's not in his character. It's not, in his, it's not one of his attributes. He can't take a fifth of Johnny Walker red label and say, okay, prove that you're a Christian. That's evil. That's not what God does. That's not what he does. So, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. So God doesn't tempt you. It is the tempter who tempts you. It is Satan who tempts you. It is Satan who is the one that comes and offers you the, go the glories and the kingdoms of this world. That's who does that. That's not God's business. God is in the redemption business. But he's also in the judgment business. He's in the redemption business, but he's also in the judgment business. The Bible goes on to say in verse 14, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust, his own lust, and enticed. So if you're tempted, it's because you're able to be tempted. 
You may not be able to be tempted by that green alcohol I put in front of you with some Kool-Aid and say, hey, drink this. That may not tempt you. But let's say uh, there's something else that comes into your life that you're more prone to. And you know what you're calling begetting sins are. You know what the sins are that, 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 that mm, something you might watch on TV, something you might look at on the internet that you shouldn't be looking at, books that you should be reading and that you shouldn't be reading, thoughts that you know, you should be controlling, you know, when those thoughts go through your mind instead of do, just letting it keep going, you dwell on that thought, that, that kind of thing. You know what I'm talking about. That comes from, or this, the root of that is inside of you. And then the devil can come and play on that particular incitement. Then the Bible says that when uh, lust hath conceived, if you give in to the temptation, then that lust becomes sin. And sin is fun. Oh, yeah. The Bible says there's pleasure in sin for a season. And it could be cutting school. <laughs> it could be using profanity. You know, oh, yeah. It could be stealing that cigarette, you know, whatever. The things that you do, you know, when you're not, you know, all clean and pretty like me today. You know, put on my Christian suit today. Had to preach. Monday's coming. Will I be consistent in my testimony? So when you give in to temptation, lust, and it could be physical lust or lusting after uh, ambitious lust or lust, lusting after a job or whatever, whatever, it, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, even though it's pleasurable, sin, when it is finished, even though it's done, Sin, when it is finished, Bible says, bringeth forth death. Bringeth forth death. A few years ago, my wife and I uh, led a demonstration outside of an abortion clinic in North Hollywood. And uh, we had about 15 to 20 other church members with us. I was on staff full time at the time. And uh, we were out there for two and a half years outside of uh, Family Planning Associates Medical Clinic. And they performed first and second term abortions up there. And uh, we were out in front of that clinic five days a week from 8 o'clock in the morning until 11.30 <coughs> in the morning. Because that, those were the hours when they performed the abortions. Winter, spring, summer, fall. We were out there faithfully for two and a half, almost three years. Uh, to my knowledge, uh, we uh, persuaded at least six mothers, you know, to maintain their children, to keep their children. And then they sent me pictures afterwards. Um, during that opportunity to um, stand on behalf of uh, the unborn children, spoke to a number of women who came to uh, have that abortion. And let me hasten to say, you know, God forgives that sin. God will cover that in the blood of Jesus Christ. And if there's a man who encouraged a woman to go out and have an abortion, God will forgive that too. Because Calvary covers it all, as Brother Sanko. As Brother Sanko song. Amen. Thank you for that grace. Thank you for that song. Thank you for that mercy. Calvary covers it all. So no no don't let the devil, you know, beat you up or someone else beat you up or someone you know who had an abortion get beat up over the fact that they had that uh, had that procedure done because the blood of Jesus Christ will forgive that sin. Continuing. Spoke to a number of women and asked them, uh, why are you here today? 
You know, why, why have you decided to uh, terminate the pregnancy? And these were women who, you know, like I said, first or second trimester in their pregnancy. Uh, they did the late-term abortions at another clinic. And the responses were really, really revealing. Um, the women were young, 18, 19, 20 years of age. And one young woman said, I'm here because I, it was the first time I have just met, met the fellow. You know, I don't want to have a, a life with him. So, and, you know, here I am carrying his child. So I want to terminate. Okay. Another young woman said uh, that uh, she didn't want to mess up her figure. Okay. So she had, you know, 18, 19 years old, you know, getting ready to move into the prime of life, whatever. So she didn't want to have a baby, stretch marks, you know, whatever, and everything that goes along with that. I've got six children, so I'm not just missing it, but, you know, I've seen it. <laughs> so I know, I know it happens. And, uh, but she didn't want to mess up her figure. Now, these may not sound like great, you know, profound, you know, reasons for terminating a pregnancy, but that's what was important, you know, to these young women that I spoke with. So before they had this, these relationships outside of marriage, it seemed like a good idea at the time, you know. Maybe the guy had a beard, maybe the guy didn't have a beard, maybe it was something he said, you know, maybe it's cologne. Whatever it was that she was physically attracted to him, she didn't count, those young ladies weren't counting on uh, having a baby as a result of a temporary relationship. So it just, it just emphasizes, I'll share that with you, and eventually the, the abortion clinic closed, by the way. And uh, after, after three and a half years of uh, fasting and prayer, God closed it down after uh, about the third year. I was out there a couple of weeks ago, and it's, uh, it was a huge facility, so now it's like two cleaners, it's cleaners and two restaurants, okay? And uh, all that baby blood was shed there, but God just said, that's enough, you know, and uh, cleaned it up, and it's a whole brand new world. So the Bible says that uh, sin, um, lust, sin, um, bringeth forth death. So it shows that we're contaminated. We're contaminated by sin. There's nothing we can do about it. We don't have to tell children to sit still and be quiet, okay? Because they're going to talk. They're going to do their thing. Uh, when a baby cries, you know, you know they, they want something. When your baby starts talking to you, the first word they say is, is uh, either mommy or daddy, then the second word is no. Uh, amen? <laughs> Mommy, ah, she loves me. Daddy, ah, she loves me. Pick up your toys. No. <laughs> what happened? You, you, told me, <laughs> you told me you loved me. No. So if you got children, you know, you, you know, that's the sin nature. That's where that comes from. You can keep them boxed up, bottled up, separated from the world, and that sin nature you can't control. It's still going to come out. And that's why they need a new nature. So when it comes to an opportunity, you know, for them to trust Christ and come to a saving knowledge of the Lord, amen, 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 you know, you share the gospel with your child, you bring them to Jesus Christ, give them a new nature, and you say, pick up your, pick up your toys, and they'll say, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, okay? That's what Jesus does for fallen man, okay? So amen. So we've got first two points there. The Bible says, uh, well, first, your soul was created by God. Secondly, your soul is contaminated by sin. Don't know if you've been following the news lately, but there was a tremendous oil spill up in Santa Barbara. So now that oil is starting to pop up in Southern California, like on Manhattan Beach. Uh, it started with Refugio Beach up in Santa Barbara. Now it's down here in Manhattan Beach. I'm an ocean guy. You know, I'm not a mountain guy. My wife's a mountain guy. She likes to go to the mountains. Can't stand it. Wild animals, the whole bit. You know, but the <laughs> I like the ocean. I like the ocean. Wild animals, but they're my kind of animals, okay? So... Uh, before I got married, used to do a lot of scuba diving, so I'm pretty familiar with uh, the ocean. Got married, get rid of that. So you're not scuba diving anymore. 
that's all you know. But what a motorcycle, no motorcycle for you. Okay, thank you very much, I get it. So uh, that's, <laughs> that's what happens when you put the ring on, boys. Don't tell her I said that. She already knows. So, uh, so these beaches are starting to get contaminated with oil. And I hate it, I hate it, I hate it. Because when you go to the beach, the first thing you smell is the oil, you know? And I go to the, oil, to the ocean for the air. I love, you know, fresh salt air coming through and the sea breezes and just the way, you know, it just makes me feel wonderful all over. And you go to the ocean and you smell this oil. Next thing you see are big black globs of oil on the beach, okay? And then if you're not watching where you're walking, you step in it. And you get oil on the bottom of your foot. And it's sticky and it's thick and it leaves a stain on the bottom of your foot. So our pristine oceans, you know, get contaminated when the oil comes into the sea. That's what happens to your soul. If you give in to bitterness, if you give in to anger, if you give in to lust, if you give in to hatred, all that is sin. If you rebel against God, that's sin. If you rebel against your parents, you rebel against your teachers, you rebel against authority, that is sin. And it contaminates the human soul. Does that illustration get it across? Our souls are contaminated by sin. Sin looks pretty on TV. I was watching uh, the news the other night, and Jennifer Lopez, you know, singer, actor, producer, blah, 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 pops up and dancing across the stage and all that stuff. And it's like, we don't blink anymore. <laughs> you know, we have no sense of shame. We have no sense of modesty in our society anymore. Uh, I remember growing up as a kid that uh, just, just the clothing style, like on TV, for example, <laughs> they wouldn't let uh, Elvis Presley, you know, they wouldn't show his legs, you know, below, below the hips because he's a Elvis Presley. Okay, that's lost. Okay. Mm. There used to be a show called I Dream of Jeannie. Jeannie was in a bottle, very attractive actress. And when Jeannie popped up out of the bottle, she wore a Jeannie outfit that showed her navel. And they wouldn't, the censors on TV would not let her show her navel on television. That's the way TV used to be. Okay. I Love Lucy is still on television, all right? That, that, that we know. They would not show Lucy and Desi sleeping in the same bed, even though they were married. There was a time where television would not show a bathroom. There would be no toilets on TV shows. And that wasn't that long ago. That was about maybe 40, 50 years ago. Now you turn on TV, ABC, NBC, CBS, not even talking about cable, and it is polluted. <laughs> literally polluted with things that you can't sit your child in front of and let them watch TV alone by themselves. And that's just the commercials. <laughs> Not even talking about the shows. So that's how far sin has taken us. There was a time where we had some sense of Christian memory. There was a time where we had a sense of Christian values. There was a time where this nation was based on Christian traditional values. Now, those are nasty words. And if you profess to know the Lord Jesus Christ, and if you profess to know uh, uh, God and the, how he's changed your life, then you are the enemy now. And they've got all kind of words for you, like homophobe, transphobe. What, what, what is that? Racist. Bigot. Because you trust Jesus Christ and you believe the Bible as the word of God. So that's what sin does. It contaminates the world and contaminates your soul. Lastly, your soul is redeemed 
by Jesus Christ. Your soul is redeemed by Jesus Christ. Uh, you don't have the slide, but I'll give it to you from the Bible. Romans chapter 3, verse 24. Romans chapter 3, verse uh, 23. Romans 3, 23. Is your soul for sale? That's the question you have to answer. Am I willing to give up anything, to accept anything in this world for my eternal soul? First, your soul was created by God. Your soul is contaminated by sin. Finally, your soul is redeemed by Christ. Cutting to the chase, uh, sound booth, Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You might think I'm a good person. You might think that I'm not a murderer. I'm not a child molester. I'm not an abuser of myself and mankind. I'm not a bully. I'm not somebody that goes on the internet and looks at pictures that I shouldn't look at. I'm not angry. I'm not mean. I'm not bitter. I'm a good person. I don't steal. I don't cheat. I don't smoke. I don't drink. I don't use drugs. I'm a good person. I'm in church on Sunday. What do you think of me, preacher? I'm in church on Sunday. Doesn't that count for something? The Bible says all have sinned, including you and come short of the glory of God. That is the effect and the impact of sin. Unless you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, unless there's a time in your life where you turn from sin and put your faith and confidence in the risen Jesus Christ, you are a sinner on your way to hell. And once you get to hell, as our opening text said, there's nothing you can give in exchange for your soul. There's nothing you can give to get out of hell. Today is the day of salvation. So how do I get this salvation, preacher? Tell me, tell me, tell me. You told me that my soul was created by God. You told me that my soul was contaminated by sin. Sounds like I'm in real trouble. Yes, you are. How do I get out of it? Through Jesus Christ. The Bible says, being justified freely by the grace of God, through his grace, through the redemption, redeeming, bought back, that is Christ Jesus. It is Jesus Christ who will buy you back. You can't be good enough. You can't be smart enough. You can't be philosophical enough. You can't be intellectual enough. You can't be kind enough. You can't be generous enough to redeem your own soul. That's a newsflash for somebody in this room because you're basing whether or not you go to heaven after you die on the fact that you do some good works and that basically you're a good person. Well, that's, that's, that's the heaven of Hollywood. The heaven of the Bible, the only way in is through the door. And the door has a name. Jesus made it plain. It's not hard to become a Christian. It's not hard to get your soul uh, cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's not hard to be redeemed. It's not hard, it's not hard, it's not hard. Jesus said, I am the door. It's not a symbolic door. It's not a metaphysical door. It's not a supernatural door. The door is a person. And the person is Jesus Christ. The Bible says that we are redeemed in, uh, by Jesus Christ. That's what the passage is talking about. And you can do that today. So what's it all mean? It means that without Jesus Christ, your soul is condemned to hell. doesn't matter how good you are, how smart you are, how kind you are, how generous you are. Without Jesus Christ, doesn't matter if you come to church every day, you sing in the choir, you preach in the pulpit, you play a piano, you teach in the Sunday school, doesn't matter. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, the Bible says, but according to his mercy, mercy, mercy of God, he saved us. 
Those who know Jesus Christ in the room, you can testify to that because you remember how you were before you met Jesus on the Damascus Road. You remember what kind of life you lived before you met Jesus on the Damascus Road. But when you met Jesus, he turned your life around. If you don't have a testimony, if you can't stand up and talk about Jesus and what Jesus has done for you and how he's changed your life, then you need Jesus Christ today. And he's not requiring anything from you. You don't have to join the church. You don't have to give a lot of money. You don't have to stand up and give a testimony. You don't have to do any of those things. All you have to do is put your trust in Jesus Christ. That, is, that easy, preacher? That easy. Thief on the cross. Jesus is in the middle of the cross. There's a thief on the left side. There's a thief on the right side. This one is just railing. Oh, if you're the Christ, get us down from here. The other thief looks at him and says, I believe you are the Christ. And Jesus in the middle says, today you will be with me in paradise. The thief who believed, did he join the church? Did he tithe his money? Did he go to the synagogue? Did he read the Bible? Did he become a preacher? Did he go to Bible school? Did he go to Bible college? Did he go to seminary? Didn't do any of those things. He simply believed. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. You go to heaven today, who's there? Thief on the cross. Left the cross behind. Trusted Jesus Christ, got saved. Other thief, burning in hell. Why? Because God hates him? No. He didn't trust Jesus. The Bible says that the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Even this fellow could have been saved, but he chose not to. He chose to say, oh, I got Christ, bad guy. No. If he had trusted Christ, he could have been saved. So I'm going to wrap up. The Bible says, or the title of this message is, Is Your Soul for Sale? Your soul was created by God. Your soul is contaminated by sin. And your soul can be redeemed by Jesus Christ. If you're born again today and you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then simply put your faith in him continually. Run with patience the race that is set before you. Overcome by faith. Keep your eyes on the prize. But if there's someone in the room today who has yet to trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, today is the day of salvation. And it costs you nothing. Don't have to join a church. Don't have to pay any money. Don't have to stand up here and give a testimony. None of that. All you have to do is trust Jesus Christ.